0: Amen. Amen. Glad you're here with us today as so we begin a brand new series called Relationship Apps. And it is funny how technology has really changed everything about us, how we all carry around smartphones now that have so many devices and applications on them, whereas it, we once carried a separate phone, camera, map, calendar, compass, calculator, flashlight, notepad, photo album, address book, radio, TV, and much more. That is all contained inside one device now. Isn't that crazy? I know for the younger generation, it's like, so? It's the way it's always been for us. But for us older folks, that is not the way it always has been. And these apps that we have now on our phones, can do so much. We can find out the weather up to date. I remember my dad sitting in the living room when he heard that Harold Taft had made some announcement about a storm coming. Hello, Harold Taft fans out there. Thank you. Thank you. And so he had his weather radio. It was this box that sat on his little table by his chair, and he would push it, and it would play this really bad AM signal of weather radio. This is the voice of the (laughs) no weather weather under service. (laughs) There was a storm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, thank you. So, man, it's not like that today. I can click on an app, and I can see up-to-date radar of my area. Isn't that crazy? You can see the storm, which way the storm is going, which way the winds are blowing. If you haven't got one of those apps you ought to. You can keep up with your banking. You can follow your favorite sports team. You can shop online all from your phone today. It's crazy the number of apps. I read recently that there are two and a half million different apps available on cellular devices today. That's crazy. Two and a half million. Just about anything you would want to do, there's an app for it. Sometimes they get a little unusual. I read about a few this past week. In fact, there's one that you can download called Car Matey. It helps you find your car in the parking lot and it uses a pirate's voice. It's crazy, Car Matey. Hi, Matey. There's also an app called Run P. So when you're watching your favorite movie at the theater, and you really need to go to the bathroom, but you don't want to miss an important scene, this app tells you which scene you can go to the bathroom in and what you'll miss and make it back in time. You can also get the Melon Meter app. You can take it into the store, turn on the Melon Meter app, and hold it to the to the watermelon and thump it, and it will tell you whether that thump is a ripe thump or not. Hello. Does anybody thump their watermelon in here when you're checking to see if it's ripe? I do too. My dad always did. You can also get one. You can get an app called DoorStop. Do you remember that little spring thingy behind the door? You know, as a little kid, you'd run down the hall and you'd play that little thing and go, you know what I'm talking about? You can get that app on your phone. And so if you get bored, you just want to relive your old childhood days, you just go, that's all it does there's an app for virtually anything that you might want there to be a use for you know when it comes to following jesus christ we have been given the bible says every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in christ jesus we have available to us all that we need for living this life and the most important dimension to this life is your relationships You know, you can have your job go well, you can have your bank account go well, you can have some things going well, but if your relationships are in a mess, when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you're a wreck, right? I mean, it's just, that's the way life is. It's about relationships. And so it's not surprising that the thing that Jesus came to redeem and restore is our relationship to God first, but our ability to redeem and restore every relationship here on this planet in this life. There is an app for that, and we're going to be looking at that over the next several weeks, relationship apps. Here's the big truth I want us to walk away with at the end of this series. If you want to take a picture of this next screen, if you want to write this down, there's a lot you're going to have to write fast. Here it is. The more that you download the ways God has related to you in Jesus Christ, the more you will change the way you relate to others. And you see, it's not always about the other person needing to change. It's often, if not always, about us needing to change. So what we're going to be looking at is how do we download what Jesus has done for us, how he has loved us, so when we download that into our heart, it translates out into our life and our relationships. This is our big truth. Our passage, our key passage for this series is Colossians 3. I love the book of Colossians. It it kind of unfolds the colossal greatness of God's grace to us. It shows us what we have received in Christ. And the more you take that in, the more it changes you from the inside out. It begins to overflow from your life. And so in, in Colossians chapter 1 and 2, Paul is writing and he's explaining all the wonders of what Jesus has done for us. And you get to chapter 3 and he kind of turns the corner and he starts talking about how we live that stuff out. He lifts him up in the first two chapters and he lives him out in the next three. Amen? And then that's what we're going to do. We're going to see how do we live this stuff out. Specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. And we're going to see what it means to download all that Jesus has done for us. Man, you got to be careful today what you're downloading. I'm not talking about just on your computer. I'm talking about in your heart. There's a lot of stuff out there that's available to us and for us. And whatever you're taking in during your day, whatever thoughts, feelings, emotions, images, messages you're taking in, whatever you're downloading here will come out here. And if you're downloading a bunch of stuff that is all about being selfish and about being cruel and about being stand up for your rights, I promise you that's what's going to come out of your life. And you're going to wonder, why do I have so many relationship problems? It's because you're downloading the wrong stuff. If you're downloading in your heart all the time all the hurts that people have done to you, if you're downloading all the things that have been unfairly done to you, If you're downloading all the time in your mind what you should have had, you are going to have relationship issues. You're downloading the wrong thing. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life. And when you download what he has done for you, it will change you. It will change your marriage. It will change your family. It will change your friends. It will change the way you operate at work. It will change how you relate to your neighbor watch this, whether they change or not. That's going to be hard to hear throughout this series, but it's going to be true throughout this series. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, you got to understand this is after he has unfolded the glories of who Jesus is, and he gets to this moment where he turns a corner And he uses the word that you can always tell when one of the writers of Scripture is turning the corner. Here it is, verse 12. He says, therefore, in other words, I've said a bunch of stuff. It's very important stuff. I've talked about what Jesus has done for us. I've talked about who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, therefore, Heather's dad used to preach, and he would say, anytime you see, he still preaches, by the way, whenever you see the word, therefore, you ought to stop and see what it's there for. There you go. It's an important turning point. Therefore, he says, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Let's hold right there. It's pretty crazy stuff right here. But this is what we have in Jesus Christ. This is what he's explained in chapters one and two. He says, therefore, now, as those who have been chosen by God, when we were undeserving of it, when he reached down and saw us in our pitiful state, when he saw us going our own way, when he saw us undeserving, he looked down and chose us. He didn't choose us like we used to do on the kickball field whenever we knew it was our turn as captain to pick, and we picked the person that could kick the furthest first. This is not what God does. He doesn't look down and say, hmm, now who is the most talented? hmm, who is the most wise? Who is the richest? Who's the most popular? He doesn't do that. The Bible says he's chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and those foolish things are us. He chooses us. He chooses us when we don't deserve him. He chooses us while we're in our sin, and he calls us, he elects us, he chooses us. Therefore, as those chosen, he says, elect of God, he says, holy, wait a minute holy. He's calling us holy? I haven't been holy. I haven't lived up to holiness. You're right. You have not. Keep that in mind always. We just finished a series called The Cross Still Speaks. And we learned in that series that Jesus came so that he might make himself who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, holy. I haven't done enough or could ever do enough to reach a status of holy. But when I confess my sins and put my faith in Jesus Christ, God does a miraculous thing. He washes my sins and he seats me at the right hand of the Father and calls me holy. I didn't deserve that. I hadn't earned that. But that's what he calls me. That's what he makes me. He gives me the gift of righteousness that makes me holy. Therefore, as those chosen, holy and beloved, loved. This is now your new name. You might have had some names you had before you knew Jesus. You might have had the name of failure, loser, sinner, Disqualified, rejected, hated, selfish, rebellious. You might have had those names, but when you come to Jesus Christ, he gives you a new name and he calls you beloved. So now, you and I, chosen, holy, and beloved, now that you have these, and then he's going to unfold the apps for us here's what you do. If this is who you are, here's what you do. If you've lifted up the name of Jesus, now you're going to live him out. Here's the first thing he says, put on tender mercies. Now, if you keep reading through the rest of that passage, you'll see several other apps, applications for how we live out being chosen, holy, and beloved. But the very first one The one that Paul emphasizes first, the one he sets his sight on, the one he uses to categorize what we are to first do in our relationships with others. This is not something we show toward God. This is something we show toward others. This is not just something you show toward others. This is something you show toward those who don't deserve it. He says, put on like you've put on a coat, like you've put on a shirt, like you've put on your clothes. Put on tender mercies so that in your relationships, they are categorized by mercy. Today we're going to talk about the app of mercy. How do we demonstrate that, live that out? The Bible says some beautiful things about mercy. If you read through the Gospels, it says that Jesus was so merciful and tender that it says a bruised reed he will not break. In other words, Jesus is walking along and he sees a, a reed, a, a grass, a, a, a plant. And it is, it's, it's bruised. It's been bent. It's been hit. It's, it's had some traffic over it. It's had some things happen to it that it shouldn't have had happen to it. And it's bruised. And it's just about to break. And it says Jesus is so tender and merciful That when he relates to it, he doesn't allow it to break. He is tender with it. He is compassionate with it. You and I are like bruised reeds. Life has kind of run over us. We've made our own choices and caused some pain in our lives, some broken areas in our life. And Jesus comes to us with great tenderness and mercy. And were it not for his mercy, we would all be incurring his wrath. His judgment because of our sin. Here's a definition we're going to use today for mercy. It's this, withholding justice when it is fully in your power to give and instead showing tenderness. You see, you really can't show mercy to anyone until you're in a situation where you have all the rights and power to give justice to somebody. When someone's hurt you and you have the moment, you've got the right, you've got the power, and you can really shame them, embarrass them, insult them right back in front of other people. That's when you mostly want to do it, right? You know, when someone insults you in front of a group of people, that's what you want to do is insult them back in front of that same group of people and maybe get, get a little bit bigger dig on the situation. Hello. You might know what I'm talking about. When someone hurts you, you want to hurt them back at least to the same degree that they hurt you and you want to get it maybe a little bit more in. And in those moments when you have the right to because you've been hurt, when you have the power to because of who you are and where you are, but in that moment you choose not to do it. And instead, you are tender and compassionate. That is when you are demonstrating mercy. When you have the power to exact judgment upon someone and you choose not to. Our passage we're digging in today to see the fuller picture of mercy is in the Old Testament. Second Samuel chapter 9. If you want to turn there, it's in your Old Testament. Second Samuel follows... 1 Samuel. You'll find it. Go ahead and take a look for that in your app or your Bible that you're following along in today. Chapter 9 is where we are. And with each of our apps each week, we're going to look at a Bible story that illustrates the power of that app. Today, it's mercy. And to help with our story today, I got a, I've got a few props, and I've got a, uh, I've got a few folks who are going to help me on stage. So uh, let me have uh, Jackson and Nick, and um, let me have Jonathan and Asher all come up here. They're going to help illustrate the characters in our story today. Let's give them all a hand as they come up today. So Jackson, if you'll stand right over here. And Nick, if you'll take this second panel here. Jonathan, if you'll stand here. And Asher, you stand right here. Y'all face front. There you go. So in our story today, yeah, there you go awesome, perfect. In our story today, there are four main characters. Look at be some other people, but four main characters you're going to want to all keep up with in our story today. And the first of these is a man named Saul. And he, in the Old Testament, God chose to be king. Put on your crown, king. And Saul was chosen king by God. Don't he look great? <laughs> the problem with Saul, though, is that Saul's heart became divided. You know, it's a funny thing when you get into a place of power, and if you're not careful, if you don't stay humble, if you don't keep your eyes on the Lord, it can go to your head. And it does for Saul. Things begin to go badly for Saul. He begins to love the world. He begins to not do so well, and his heart becomes dark. And so, Saul, I'm going to have to let this illustrate kind of your dark heart. So let's put this around you like a robe. It'll help us remember how dark your heart is. So um, as, <laughs> as he's in this situation, God chooses to raise up another king. And we read in the, in the scriptures about a, a boy who is chosen, who isn't chosen because of his great stature. He's not chosen because he's good looking. Sorry, Nick. <clears throat> Nick is a good looking guy. So God chooses a little boy named David. And he raises him up. He's a shepherd boy. Here you go. Put that on. This us help us remember. Oh, sorry. It's there. You're almost there. There you go. Here's David. So we have Saul, the king. But God chooses and raises up a new king. And at first, Saul is okay with this idea that one day David will become king and he brings them into his house, and things are going pretty well. And something interesting happens because Saul has a son. His name is Jonathan. And Jonathan is playing Jonathan today. Yeah, that should help us remember that's Jonathan. And and Jonathan would be the next heir to the throne if we're following family succession. But when David... And Jonathan meet each other, they click right away. There's something about it that they just, they hit it off. Their relationship is great. In fact, they grow very close. I mean, they're tight. So close, the Bible says, that there came a day that they actually cut a covenant between them. Where they said, I will forever be kind to you and your generations. And they did this through an exchange. They actually exchanged their robes. So Jonathan would take, I mean uh, David would take your robe and give it to Jonathan. So we remember that Jonathan and David had made this covenant together. That whatever he had was his, whatever he had was his. And it was a very humbling moment for David to give away his right to the throne to Jonathan. And for Jonathan to remember from this day forward that he would be giving his right to David. I'm sorry. That Jonathan would be giving his right to David as king. Now, you might wonder about uh, Asher up here. Asher is another part of our story. And Asher, you're going to need this. So just hold on to that for just a moment. There you go. You see, Asher is playing the part of of a, a boy in Scripture. His name is Mephibosheth. You'll see it here in Scripture in just a minute. When we're introduced to him, he's five years old. He grows, obviously. But Mephibosheth is going to need this cane, and I'll explain that a little while later. Let me fast forward a little bit in time here while these four are up here so we kind of understand what's happening here. So uh, one day, Saul and Jonathan are out to battle. They are fighting against the Philistines, and David is just waiting for his time. He's not rebelling. He's not pushing. He's not insisting. In fact, there are some opportunities that David could have had to unseat Saul as king, but he chooses not to. There's a moment in a cave one day where David has an opportunity to walk up and just cut his throat if he wanted to, but he chooses not to because he wants to follow what God has for him and allow God to put him in place in time. So Saul and Jonathan are out fighting Philistines one day, and the battle's not going well. In fact, Jonathan is killed. See you, Jonathan. Give Jonathan a hand. He did a great job up here. You can keep the robe for now. So Jonathan is killed. The battle's not going well because Saul is injured in the battle. And Saul takes his sword and kills himself. Sorry, Saul. You're gone. Take Take your black heart with you. And in that day, David becomes king rightfully. Rightfully so. Now, in this day and time, whenever a new king came to power, It was very common for the new king to clean house. You know how like when a a new sports or a sports team gets a new coach and they kind of clean house and they bring in all their coaches and they bring in some of their players? Similar situation but different because kings in that day, they would not only bring in their own guys, they would see that all the others were killed and removed because he didn't want to have an uprising. He didn't want anyone to rebel. He didn't want any... Anything left over of the old regime. And so they would remove all of those players, including any members of the family. Anyone left living would be sought out and killed. So I want you to remember this picture here. David is king. Mephibosheth has a cane, and there's a reason. All right? Give these guys a hand. We're going to jump into our story here. Thank you all very much. Good job. Have a seat. Very good. Let's get into our passage now that we have a good visual on what's happening here. We get into verse 1 of chapter 9, and it says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? What? I thought kings in the day looked to see who was left living and killed them all. They did. But David was a different man. David loved the Lord. David had a heart of compassion. David was a different kind of man who had a heart for the Lord. And so when David gets to the throne, he doesn't say, who's left out there so I can kill them. He says, who's left out there so that I can show kindness to him. And notice who he says. That I may show him kindness for whose sake? Jonathan's sake. David says, I want to see if there's anyone down the family line because I want to show them kindness for Jonathan's sake. Remember, they'd made a covenant with one another. David covenanted to Jonathan, Jonathan to David, and so David comes to power and says, is anyone left in the family line that I can show kindness to? The passage goes on in verse 2, and it says, And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. All right. Seems like a Disney movie so far almost. Verse 3. Then the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Another word for mercy. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. Jonathan. Who is lame in his feet? You see, Asher was standing here, remember he had a cane. The Bible says, if you backtrack a little bit into chapter four of this same book, that the day and the time when they found out that Saul and Jonathan were killed and died, that there was, a, there was terror in the land. There was uncertainty in the land, especially for all those who followed Saul and Jonathan, because they knew, uh-oh, new king comes to town. We're all in trouble. In fact, we better get out of here. And so the Bible says that they all fled in panic, trying to protect themselves. And in the, in the moment of panic, there is a five-year-old boy who is running with all the people in the city. They're running, trying to figure out, what are we going to do? We've got to go somewhere. And Mephibosheth is running as a five-year-old, and his feet can't keep up with the pace of everyone else. So the Bible says his nurse reached down, picked him up, and she's running, carrying him carrying this five-year-old and they're running trying to escape they're filled with terror because a new king has come to reign that's going to mean death for all of us this new king all we've heard about him is he's bad he's terrible he's mean he he's going to hurt us he's going to come after us that's all they've heard about David what you know about a king will affect how you relate to him hold on to that So, this nurse is running, and she's running with Mephibosheth, and it's almost like you're reading chapter 4, like a slow-motion play going on, because it's like, whoa. It says, the Bible says that she dropped him. She tripped. She got caught up in the commotion. She hit a rock. I don't know what it was. She caught someone's footstep, and she fell. And when she did, Mephibosheth landed on a rock, and he was forever damaged by a fall. He fell. She fell. And he was damaged. He couldn't walk anymore. From that moment forward, Mephibosheth would be crippled. Five-year-old boy. From this point forward, he would have to be cared for, carried, dressed, fed, as though he were an infant again. This is where the story picks up here, and it says that Ziba says, I'm here at your service, and there is still someone, and he is lame in his feet. Verse 4, it says, so the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. He's down in that town called Lodabar. It's interesting, the the word Lodabar, the name Lodabar means without pasture. There's no pastures there. There's no green there. It's barren. It's dry. And when you are away and you're scared of the king, when you're fearful that he's going to come get you, when you are afraid that the king is out to bring judgment to you, when you've had a fall and you're crippled and you can't get anywhere, you go hide out in Lodabar. The place where there is no pasture. In other words, it's a place of no rest. You see, sheep go out to pasture to find rest. And when there's no pasture, there's no rest. You're anxious, you're nervous, you're fearful. Oh my goodness, I bet David's gonna find out we're down here and he's gonna come get us. Judgment's gonna come, justice is gonna come. Oh my goodness, we have gotta hide out here in Lodabar. You know what happens to us before we come to know the love of Jesus. We live without pasture. We live without rest. There's this place of tension inside our heart and soul, and we don't know where to go, so we hide out in places where there is no rest. We try to hide from the one who really can bring us rest, and that's what's happening with Mephibosheth. Verse 5 says, Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Can you imagine that day? David sends a group down. Ziba, go down to Lodabar and bring Mephibosheth to me. He can't get here on his own. He doesn't want to even come near me, so I'm sending you to go down and bring him back to me. Can you imagine the day that Mephibosheth and those around him are there and there comes a knock on the door? And someone says, it's David's men. They found us. What are we going to do? It says in verse 6, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David... That he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. Mephibosheth is brought into the palace of the king, the most powerful man in the land, the man who has been suspected to kill everybody, not in allegiance to him. And Mephibosheth is terrified as he's brought in, and he says he falls down. Now, if you're crippled and you're on your face, you are in a vulnerable spot. You can't do anything. You can't get up. You can't move around. No one can help you. And Mephibosheth is at the end of himself. He comes to this place where he is completely spread out before David, and he is in the most humble, vulnerable position he could be as a crippled young boy. And he says to David, Here is your servant. I don't have anything to offer, but I'm here. He falls down to plead for mercy in this moment. And the Bible says in verse 7 that, So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness or mercy for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you All the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. This is not what Mephibosheth was expecting. Mephibosheth had only heard stories about what would happen the day David came. He'd heard stories about what would happen the day David had the power and the right to exact justice. He had heard stories about what that moment would be like. And there instead, when he's thrown down before David, David shows him mercy. He does not give him what he deserved. He does not give him what he expected. He's not getting what he was told he would receive. Instead, David is kind to him. And I want you to look at this. What does the Bible say in this passage about why David was kind? Look at it. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness or mercy for Jonathan, your father's sake. You see, David had made a covenant with Jonathan and said, whoever comes from you, I will forever be kind to. I will forever be merciful to. And so Mephibosheth comes from Jonathan. And though he is crippled, though he has been away, though he has lived in fear, though he has been even talking negatively about David, David says, I'm going to show him kindness because of my covenant with Jonathan. What's happening here in this passage is a beautiful picture of the relationship between God the Father, the Son, and us. Watch this. In this story, Saul represents all those born on planet Earth, man. Who comes from Saul but Jonathan? Jonathan is born, and he is different than other men. David represents God the Father in the story because he makes a covenant with Jonathan, who is a picture of Jesus to us. And because. David says, I made a covenant with you, Jonathan. I will be good to all of those who come after you. God the Father has made a covenant with Jesus Christ. They with one another. Whoever comes after Jesus, follows in him by faith, the Father will always be merciful to him. So you and I, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ... You do not have to live in fear that one day God will stop showing you mercy because his mercy is not based on you. His mercy is based on the relationship of the father to the son. I hope you're taking notes. I hope you go back and look at this. I hope you unpack it later. I'm telling you. The beauty here is you and I sometimes, we think we've gone too far, right? We think God will at some point say, well, I'm done with you. I've tried and tried and you're just not living up. That's what we think in our head because we've been told wrong things about the king. Right. But, the, but the story is that because the father makes a covenant with the son, whoever comes after him and puts their faith in him will always have mercy. Right. Let's go on to verse... Eight it says, Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Mephibosheth clearly sees he doesn't deserve goodness. He doesn't deserve mercy. He doesn't deserve kindness. He really should be treated like a, a dog that he really is kind of dead in this situation. He's deserving of judgment. He's deserving of punishment. He's deserving of being cast out. And here's David saying, no, I want to bring you in to my palace. Verse 9 says this, And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to his house. Verse 10, You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Verse 13, we'll finish the story with this. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. A young boy, crippled, a young boy born into a family of rebellion, a young boy who should have been killed and judged receives mercy from the merciful King David, who had so much mercy in his heart. He said, who can I show mercy to? He had enough mercy inside. He said, who else is out there? I want to be good to somebody. I want to be kind to someone. This is mercy. Beautiful picture of mercy. Now, Let's talk about how we apply this stuff in our life. Crazy story. If you've never read into the Old Testament and you pick up names like Mephibosheth, you might think, what in the world? Is that the same Bible I carry? It is. Check it out. 2 Samuel 9. But I want to talk about how we download this into our own life. How do you download this kind of app so it starts changing our lives, so it starts changing our relationships Because this is the kind of stuff that those who are holy elect And beloved, do. It's what we're called to do, to put on tender mercies with others. So let's talk about five ways that we apply mercy today. and We'll be finished. Our first point is this. Mercy is downloaded by seeing what Jesus has done for us, not what others have done to us. You see, it's easy in this life to look at what others have done to us who have hurt us, insulted us, taken from us, treated us harshly, treated us unfairly, taken advantage of us, if that is what you keep downloading, if you keep downloading the hurt, if you keep downloading what you didn't deserve, if you keep downloading how they treated you, you will never come to a place of experiencing mercy for them. You'll keep feeding your anger. You'll keep feeding your resentment. You'll keep feeding. I don't deserve this. You'll keep feeding. I'm going to get them back and it will destroy your relationships. As long as you keep that as your focus. If you keep downloading what they've done wrong, you're not ever going to be able to show them some mercy. Is everybody with me this morning? You here? Is this uncomfortable? Is this awkward? Are y'all with me this morning? So make sure we're all together. We're going down a path here. We're going somewhere and God's got something for us. We'll make sure we're all going down a path here. You see, David could have easily kept replaying what had been done to him. He could have easily kept replaying all that Saul had done in chasing him, hounding him, not letting him be king when he was king, making his life miserable, making him live in caves when he was a king. David could have just fed himself with all that stuff, and it would have turned him into an angry, bitter man. But instead, instead of continually thinking about what Saul had done wrong, he got his focus on all that God had done right for him. You see, David remembered the day as a young boy that he would be chosen by Samuel to be a king. He'd remember that he didn't measure up to all of his brothers and all those who could have been easily chosen. He had been shown mercy, and David never got over that. David remembered when Jonathan cut a covenant with him and really was handing over his family rights and saying, David, you should be king, not me. David remembered all of that. And so because David focused on what he had received, it was easy for him to give mercy. But so many people today, they're focused on downloading their pain. It is no wonder that in our day, the number one daytime type of TV show is what? TV court. It's everybody getting their pain back. I want to make you pay for what you've done to me. Everybody wants to sue somebody for what's been done to them. And you keep suing, you might gain some money, but you give away part of your heart every time. You're giving away and you're just buying in. You're downloading the pain. You're downloading your rights. And you're not choosing to see the goodness of God. Until you get to the place where you're downloading more of what Jesus has done for you when you didn't deserve it, than downloading what others have done to you to make you deserving of getting them back, you'll never be able to show mercy to anyone. It'll be a foreign concept to you. It'll be something you don't even know how to begin to relate with. But for the people of God, this is number one on the list, mercy, showing mercy. So be careful who you download your counsel from. Be careful that you don't download your counsel from people who are bitter. It's right. pretty important That's right. because bitter people are only going to reinforce your pain. Yeah. And they're going to say, well, heck yeah, you need to get them back. You sure do need to show them who's boss. You sure do need to get something back for that. When you start hearing that stuff and it doesn't sound like the voice of Jesus, you better start backing away from that counsel. You better run from it. And I'm telling you, our culture is saturated with it today. It's in the movies. It's in TV. It's in our music. It's in our neighborhoods. It's everywhere today. I want my rights, and I'll make you pay if you don't give them to me. And mercy is far from the heart today. Number two, mercy has the power to change a heart while justice can only change behavior. Now, stay with me here. I'm telling you, there's some powerful stuff that God is saying to us today. There is a place for consequences and discipline. There's a place for that. But because there's a generation today that doesn't know how to show mercy, discipline becomes the go-to every time. Because we have a generation that doesn't understand what it means to receive this mercy, they haven't downloaded it here, they can't ever use the app in their life. You can't can't activate what you don't have. Romans 2, 4 says this, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and the forbearance or patience and long-suffering of God? listen to this, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. You know what we often want to go to first for making someone repent is heavy-handed discipline. But the Bible says what truly change a heart, what truly changes someone's motivation and drive Is the mercy and kindness of God. Then when that is demonstrated towards someone, they may not respond at first to it, but it has the power to melt and soften their heart and produce long-term change. Discipline only works for a little while. Story is told of a, a parent who was disciplining their little boy and the little boy was being resistant and rebellious and they kept telling him, sit down in that chair and he wouldn't sit down in that chair and he said, you better sit down in that chair right now and he wouldn't sit down in the chair finally they said, son I'm going to give you a spanking if you don't sit down in that chair so he sat down in the chair and the little boy said I may be sitting down on the outside but on the inside I'm standing up And that's what happens. You can force someone in behavior to change outwardly, but it is the kindness of God that causes a person to actually change inside and repent of their ways. People, and you and I know this, when you come to Jesus Christ, you don't just come out of fear he's going to swat your hiney you come out of the goodness of knowing that Jesus has taken your punishment. And when you see that, it does something to you. It changes you inside. That's what mercy has the power to do, is actually produce repentance. But because we're so far removed from knowing how to really show true mercy to someone when we have the power to show justice, We rarely live that out. But mercy has the power to change a heart. Let me make one other application. Because I know this stuff gets very real, not just in parenting, it gets very real in marriage. Because there's going to be times, if you haven't experienced this yet, where you're going to have conflict with your spouse. Sorry to let you know that. You know that already. There's going to be times where your spouse, watch this, is not going to do what you thought they were going to do. There's going to be a time where your spouse is going to hurt your feelings. There's going to be a time when your spouse is going to do some things that will devastate you. I know that's never happened in this room. But let me read to you what 1 Peter 3 says to wives. And we could just as easily apply the principle to husbands. But here's what it says. Wives, likewise, be submissive or kind, merciful to your own husbands. Listen, stay with me. That even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. It is tempting to want to get into a situation when a spouse is not doing what you they should do. In this case, it was a spouse that wasn't even following God. And it's easy in that moment to think, I am going to unload on them. Boy, I am going to let them have it. Mm, I am just going to show, I'm going to tell them a thing or two. (laughs) And in that moment, think, man, when I get through with them, they are going to be groveling and repenting. And ah, boy, and whether they do or not, I'm just going to tell them how I feel and you think that that's going to accomplish something, this passage and the truth of Scripture says, in that moment, it won't be your many words that will change a heart. It'll instead be a a character and a conduct of commitment, consecration, and mercy. That will actually, in time, cause change. I'm telling you, mercy is a subject the church today struggles to truly understand. Number three, mercy delights in the wounded and undeserving experiencing the glory of God. There's a delight that the merciful have. Now make sure you finish the whole sentence here, not mercy delights in the wounded, period. That's not what it says. Mercy delights in the wounded, undeserving, experiencing the glory of God. David got real delight out of knowing that Mephibosheth was about to be just blessed beyond what he could imagine. Mephibosheth's been living crippled, been living fearful, been living in torment, and David is just Who can I show some mercy to? Who can I bless? And he says, I've got to go get Mephibosheth. Go get him. Bring him in here. Bring him in here. Come on, bring him in, bring him in. And he brings him in. He's like, he's just waiting for the right moment. Mephibosheth's like, "Ah, help me. I'm your servant. Mephibosheth, get up. Get up. I've brought you here. And I'm going to restore to you all that was your dad's and your granddad's. You know what, Mephibosheth, this point forward, you're going to sit at the table with me for dinner every night. The the king's palace. You're going to eat the best food, the prime food. I'm bringing you in, and I know you haven't done anything to deserve it. I know you've been fearful of me. I know you thought I was coming to kill you, but I'm not. I'm here to bless you. And at the end of that night, I just imagine David going to bed, and his heart must have just felt this big, you know? Like, yes, yes, I did for others what you have done for me, Lord, and it's been amazing. That's what mercy does. It delights in showing undeserved favor. Number four, though we expect and deserve justice, we receive mercy because of God's covenant with Jesus. Yeah, I showed you this picture earlier about David and Jonathan and this covenant they cut, this agreement that they made, and so that all who come from Jonathan after that are going to be favored and blessed. When you come into Jesus Christ, you're going to forever receive the mercy, the love the same covenant, the same commitment that David had toward Jonathan, that the Father has toward Jesus. Did you know that you and I have at our disposal everything that Jesus has now? The Father loves you and I in the same way that he loves the Son. Every blessing that the Son has from the Father because of who he is, you and I have now. I'm telling you, when you start downloading that, when you start downloading that into your life, it's going to change how you live. I promise you it will. If you keep thinking, well, I just don't know. I just don't, I feel more like Mephibosheth than anything else. I just, I'm crippled. I can't do anything. God's not going to bless. Hey, you're going to have to get past your crippled thinking. You're going to have to get past I'm a sinner thinking. You're going to have to get past I'm down in Lodabar thinking. You're going to have to realize you've been brought up by Jesus. You've been brought to the house. You've been fed at the king's table, and he's forever committed to you because of what the Father and Son have done. You, Ooh, some good stuff there. That's, that's why in Hebrews four sixteen it says, Therefore, let us come boldly. To the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mm. You don't have to run in fear. You don't have to think God is out to get you. You don't have to think he's hounding you, that he's a bad God, that he's a mean God, that he's going to get you back, God, that he's still paying you back for what you did when you were 17, 22, and 27. He's not paying you back. He is showing you mercy. He's looking for all those that he can be good to. He's saying, who can I show my kindness to? And he's waiting for the ones that will come right up into the throne room and put themselves down before him and receive everything he's got for them. That's what he's waiting for today. Our last one is this. Tender mercy overflows from the heart of those who allow themselves to be loved by Jesus. It's one thing for the Father to have mercy. It's another thing for the Father to give mercy. But until it comes personal to you, it can't ever change your life. It can't just be a theory. It can't just be in your Bible, in your room. It can't just be in the app. You've got to open the app. You've got to live the app. You've got to log in. You've got to take in mercy. In the very last night, Jesus went with his disciples. He had a dinner with them. And right before the dinner, as was customary, a servant would wash the feet of everyone in the room. And in a very unusual turn of events, Jesus takes the towel of the servant and puts it on. And he gets on his knee and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And he starts with Peter. And Peter is a little embarrassed, irritated, and resistant. Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus makes an incredible statement right then. He says, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you can have none of me. Wow. The entry point in, the password into the app, is you being willing to be shown mercy and accept it. Today, you might have some areas in your life where you have resisted opening it up to God because you, you're afraid that if you opened it up, he would rain down some judgment, that justice would fall. And so you've kept your heart closed. You've stayed down in low Debar. There hasn't been any pasture. There hasn't been any rest. It's been tense for you. And you've tried everything you can to try to make the tension go away. You've tried some counselors, you've tried some medications, you've tried some pleasure, and it hadn't worked for you yet, because you won't let the one who has come to be merciful and tender to you to come in and hold you and cleanse you and heal you and feed you. This is what mercy does. It comes. And it redeems a heart and says, you don't have to run from me anymore. I'm here. Would you bow your heads with me? Have you ever been to the place of the cross where you have personally downloaded God's love for you in Jesus? The place where mercy becomes very, very real, where it touches the pain where it touches the heartache, where it touches what's been abused. Mercy waits in that spot for us. Would you allow the merciful hand of God to love you today there? Would you welcome his love in? Would you say, God, I have been living far away from you I haven't known peace. I thought you were out to get me. But I learned today your heart is for me, that there's mercy for me. So, Father, I I welcome your mercy. Thank you for what you've done in Jesus for me. I welcome your mercy. Now, it might be that you've taken that step already, but there's an area in your life where God is challenging you to show mercy to someone else a family member, a spouse, a child, a friend, and you've got it in your power, even in your right, to give back to them more than even what they've done to you in the way of pain, insult. But in this day right here, God's speaking to you about showing mercy. The way you get the strength to do that is by receiving His mercy for you. Heavenly Father, this morning, we thank you that while we were in our sins, while we were far from you, you showed us mercy. It's because of your great mercy and kindness that we can come to you. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can come to you. Our sins are paid for, hope is restored, life is there for us, and you call us to come and receive mercy. So, Father, this morning, we're doing that as your people. We're receiving mercy. Thank you for cleansing us, for caring for us, for receiving us, for healing us. May we live that out now in our relationships. May that be how we relate to a spouse, to a friend, to a child, to a neighbor, to a co-worker. May the love that you've put in us overflow, that we might show it to someone else, Father. Fill us with mercy this morning, that we might live that out. We pray this in Jesus' name.